Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by Esty Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Michael. The uh, the sun's gone away. It's kind of kind of a bit grey outside. Uh, autumn is here. Very interesting. And Luke Perry, how are you? Yeah, I, I'm very well. Autumn may be here, but uh, the sunshine of this podcast and the cheery topics we're going to cover today won't put a downer on our faces, I can yeah, tell you that now. It's, it's going to be a very happy uh, episode. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll start on probably the biggest and most contentious story of the week, which is uh, the ongoing debate about the vaccination of children. So was it the beginning of this week or the end of last week that the JCPI, which is um, Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, said to the government, don't vaccinate children aged between 12 and 15. The benefits don't outweigh the risks, essentially. Um, And the government said, "Okay, thanks for your advice. Now we're going to turn turn to other people uh, for the wider picture, which basically means the different answer um, and straight away turn to Chris Whitty um to try and get him to justify lockdowns and that, there's an interesting line by the way in the, the times today which reminded me of a, another in the telegraph last week so when the jcbi gave its verdict the telegraph said that the body had failed to recommend the vaccination of children as though it were expected to do so and and should have done so um rather than go by what it believed to be the the accurate science so that was an interesting way of spinning it to make the government looked good for, for pushing vaccination anyway. And the Times did a similar thing today, which was to say um, that Chris Whitty has been handed the responsibility to make the decision by the JCVI. But really, it was because of the government's refusal to listen to the JCVI. So again, sort of a clever wordplay to distract from the truth and to make it look as though the, what the government is doing is always the right approach. Um, now, what Chris Whitty is expected to say either later this week or early next week is that vaccination on balance is good um, for the benefit of children's mental health, education and social development. Now, I found this really interesting because for the past 18, what is it, 19 maybe months, Chris Whitty has been urging the government to follow measures that damage children's mental health, education and social development. So so I think for him to claim all of a sudden he's in favour of these things is really quite phony and clearly he's clutching at straws, not to talk about the actual health benefit of vaccination, uh, but to come up with some other measure, which actually is a bit of politics play, because the reason he thinks it will uh, aid their mental health and education and all this uh, is, is one, because it will keep them in education for longer because they won't be isolating because of a government measure that he is pushing for. So he's created a situation in which not getting vaccinated is worse for education. And two, so that it feels for them as though the, the pandemic is over, so as to get rid of their fear, which again, the fear has been created in young people because of the sorts of fear campaigns that I'm sure people like him and close advisors to the government have been pushing for. So all these reasons that we should be vaccinating children, in his words, are due to things which he himself has caused, which is sort of an endless cycle. Um, so that essentially is the, the situation we're in. One body tells the government not to do something, so it turns to somebody who they know will give them the uh, quote-unquote right answer well this just confirms what we know about the government's approach which is that all these decisions were essentially predetermined about a year ago right and it's all about you know just official you know protocols and and um you know dotting i's and crossing t's i mean that's all the jcvi is there for is just to provide a a stamp of approval you know it's like reading the terms and conditions before sorry sorry, signing terms before you even read it you know um 
this was this was all predetermined. This is what the government wanted to do from the off. And the JCVI's uh, finding is just an inconvenient little bump in the road. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it makes me laugh that say on booster vaccines, all the articles say we're just waiting for the green light from the JCVI. And I think why bother? What's the point? Because even if the JCVI were to give the red light, and in fact, some members of the JCVI and indeed some members of Sage, and I think one of the creators of the AstraZeneca vaccine, have all said absolutely useless. Don't do it. Give the vaccines to other countries instead. Uh, some of them have said we shouldn't do it too early because then the vaccines will run out before their time. All the all these arguments. Uh, which, you know, regardless of green light, red light, the government will march on ahead with anyway. Mm. Mm. It's also marching ahead around, um, dancing around um, consent laws, well, yes. trying to diminish parental responsibility regarding children receiving the vaccine. That's already been confirmed that um, 16-year-olds can get the vaccine without parental consent. And now they're switching the age demographics down a notch. Now it it's 12 and 15 year olds oh. who are likely to be able to um, acquire the vaccine without parental consent. Now, it, it's not some, an entirely new precedent, this. They've gone on the, um, the Gillick competent route, which is, to, which is a term in English and Welsh law that says, in the absence of parental consent, young people can consent to treatment if they are deemed aware enough. This sort of contradicts why we have age of consent laws in the first place. We don't uh, allow children to... Um, make these decisions their biology and their hormone overload during puberty means that that they're not capable of understanding say long-term consequences or the impact on impact on others because young people very naturally self-centered mm. but the kicker here is that young people haven't established their own emotional in, independence they follow the herd mm. they're very in, in tune with groupthink and that's perfect when um the culture is so dominant around um fetishizing the vaccine and around pro-lockdown dogma yeah just very quickly before you go to you sam i i believe i read i think it might have been from toby young actually but this is something that was at the beginning of the week admittedly and i didn't read up too much on it so check on this before taking it as read but i, I think i read that gillick principle was taken from a case uh, where someone who was younger basically decided not to be uh, receive some form of treatment. They decided that they didn't want it. So it's quite ironic, I think, uh, that it's it's now being used basically, as you say, as, as children will follow the herd um, to get them to take something rather than to take them out of that scenario. It's quite hmm. quite a funny inversion of of what this thing was actually sort of used for. Well, yeah, I mean, children are obviously immature and impulsive, but add to that. So the non-stop fear messaging has been pumped into their heads from everything from the news to mass culture to their own teachers and in some cases their own parents you know yeah. Yeah. um it's you know we, we say oh you know if the child gives consent they can be jabbed well their consent is entirely manufactured because mm -hmm. the threat posed by the coronavirus has been blown so massively out of proportion you know pe people use words like plague to describe coronavirus which is it's nowhere near a plague yeah, well, let's let's talk about the risk here for a moment because it's quite important. I mean, I think we might have had the episode banned that we had banned because we talked about the vaccination of children, or maybe it was vaccine passports. Um, and always, I mean, you always say, Luke, that you know, you you only quote from certain bodies because we're not immunologists or scientists of any degree. We're some young scribblers. That's about as far as it goes. Um, but. The, the Telegraph has an, an interesting report today, uh, Friday, 
on a study based in the US where the vaccination has been rolled out for younger people already to a certain extent that says the risk of someone having heart problems from vaccination, and by someone I mean young teenage boys, so I should have been more specific, young teenage boys around the age of 12 to 15 is six times higher than the risk of that same person being hospitalized from COVID. That's really quite significant. Now, of course, bearing in mind with all of these things, we're talking about a one in X million chance. This is small, but so equally, in fact, not equally, so very much higher is the, the or smaller is the chance of a young person being harmed by COVID. So the idea that, you know, the vaccine rollout is being pushed out for the, the benefit of these young people is absolutely nonsensical. It's for the opposite reason. It's, I mean, even that doesn't quite work, but it's supposed to be to protect other people, which, um, you know, at first we were told that vaccine refusers were selfish, but now vaccine pushes quite clearly are the selfish ones, forcing people who aren't at risk of COVID from getting vaccinated uh, to protect themselves. And in fact, those very same young people are at risk, more risk of being harmed by the vaccine. So a really mm. sort of strange and frustrating scenario in that case. And the part that's strange, frustrating, but also really quite sickening is the comment that, you know, jabbing children will boost their mental health. Mm. from what planet is that going to boost their mental health i mean they're, they're not at risk it's 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 ridiculous if you want to boost the mental health of children stop stop playing you know board games with their lives and their mental state and you know stop turning on their lives as if it were a light switch exactly i mean stop driving them into a state of hysteria where yeah. there'll be a will be there'll be nanny killers if they see their own friends and family yeah that's it we're constantly told about long COVID, which is being overplayed, uh, th that it's not just older people who get hurt or hospitalised or die from COVID. Well, of course, that's true. But when we see the actual figures for it, it it's re really when it comes to a certain point uh, on national policy sense, almost a non-issue. Um, so I think the government should make it quite clear to young people that actually you're not at risk here um, as, as, as much as uh, things like this can be said. I mean, obviously, there's always your, your outliers, but that's just life. That's policy. That's that's what the government should know, especially after this party itself has been in government for 11 years. It knows that nothing goes exactly to plan always. But young people, if, they, if they're really genuinely interested in helping their development and mental health, should be told by the government that you're not at risk. Don't worry. Hmm. Well, that would require prudence and honesty from the government. So I won't hold my breath there. Yes, and it would also undo a lot of their other efforts. It would it would massively drive down vaccination in uh, younger people, though still slightly, you know, people in their twenties and thirties who think, well, that probably applies to me too, which isn't what they want. They want full vaccination. They're very clear about that, and I imagine we'll get very close to it too because um, we're already not too far off, and the, the we're only going in. Well, of course, we can only go in one direction. That was almost a stupid comment. But you see what I mean, that the, the propaganda is only going in one direction, up and up. As a side point, as a, an appendix to this, I, I do wonder how many young people who have taken the jab, like what percentage did so because they genuinely wanted to and what percentage did so because they thought they were going to be locked out of public life and they didn't. Because hmm. yeah. I, I, on, on an episode of OCP recently, I was talking to someone about the jab and he was, he was saying that he, he had it for no other reason than he wanted to be, to be able to go on holiday. Mm. It's, it's what the case for many people is that uh, oh that it's they just brush the entire issue of vaccine passports aside they just 
Well, they just march up single file to a jab centre just so they could go raving about in a, in a nightclub without thinking about the wider implications on their human rights, without long-term precedent. It's not, it's not just, just going to end with a double jab. Yeah. yeah. I sound like, we all sound like a broken record at this point. We've trod on, along this path for so long that well, that's what's going to happen. Because because this spectre won't go away. That's why, that's yeah. why you know, like we, we, we bring up every week because every week it, it marches further and further towards something truly ugly. Mm. Every, every week, it, the, the vice tightens further and it's mm. becoming more clear on the horizon. And then once we come to that horizon, there's a there's a new one on the on the um, mm. the next field. The, uh, the problem that I see, and this is moving away from uh, the sort of this week's theme of you know of kids, but um, which is that the the problem with vaccine passports is that by the time that they're actually brought in you know, a, a vast majority of the public are going to be vaccinated. So they, they won't be affected by vaccine passports. And because we live in a low trust society with high in-group preference based on social strata, people who are jabbed for the most part aren't going to get up in arms about this because ultimately it's going to benefit them. You know, like um, in, in, you know, in, in, the, in the brave new world we're rapidly approaching, to be jabbed is to, is to be the, the socially and politically advantaged group. Mm. Yeah, well, that was that was the, the whole point. The reason that vaccine passports are coming in late September is because that's the point by which all adults will have been able to get fully vaccinated. Um, so that was very much the intention. And you know, Dominic Robb was very open about this. The government is coaxing and cajoling uh, young people into getting vaccinated. And there was a report, actually, so many various reports on vaccine passports that it gives you a bit of a headache if you spend your day writing or reading it. Um, so one day we hear, you know, Nadim Zahawi, the vaccines minister, saying that they could be extended into pubs and restaurants. Essentially, the only place that they rule out, although ruling out from Nadim Zahawi is, is barely uh, written in stone, um, is essential services, basically. That's what they say. So, you know, going to the hospital, things like this. Um, the only, uh, everything else is open for uh, encroachment by vaccine passports. Although then the day after, a report comes out that ministers are thinking twice about vaccine passports. And my comment on this was um, ministers are said to be thinking twice on vaccine passports, or were they never intending to introduce them in the first place? Were they or, always there or as they, a rhetoric to... Or, or, are they just, jabbed? or are they just buying themselves time? Potentially that too. Are, yeah. are, are they just assessing public opinion, considering whether there's the right amount of conditioning within the population? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Will there will there be enough resistance? Because as Wicket has said, if there's um not enough, as if ninety percent of people have been vaccinated, the resistance will only be ten percent strong, if that. Yeah. Well, you always in terms of government, uh, sorry, public opinion on it. I think people will rush to get their passports. I mean. How many times, I don't know if this is just me, but I, I notice it all the time. You know how people have these phone cases where they have card holders in it or on the back they leave things within the, the clear case. Numerous times every day when I'm out and, and see people on their phones, I see the vaccination cards, you know, the little slip that you're given once yeah. you've been jabbed. So many people hold these things on them. For what reason? Why? Do, nowhere needs these things at the moment. Um, but yet people still carry them with them. So mm. imagine the time when we do need to have our papers with us. People will be dying mm. to, to have their papers yeah. in their pocket and, and will be showing the guards even before they've been asked. They say, here's my certification. I've been vaccinated. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. fair enough, this is a, a maybe a slight 
uh, sort of colourful exaggeration, but I think there is still a good percentage of the country that would not only be uh, willing to do it, but would be excited to have this thing on. Yeah, because we we live in a we live in a a, a culture where um, clout and 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 and, and credential is a, a form of currency, and yeah. it's just, it's just braggadocia. I mean, I've seen loads of people say like you know, oh look at this flex, but the vaccine card as if you know being jabbed against the virus that poses virtually no risk to you is some sort of you know thing to be passed on the back about yeah or oh i had the pfizer one you know which i'm glad about because the astrazeneca you know i've, I've heard some bad reports about that oh i've had i've had this one you know all the there's plenty of different ways in which it's played in people's minds yeah i mean it's clearly deliberately meant to be infantilized because um when you get your vaccination, they hand you a sticker saying, oh, I've been vaccinated and people have it on their phone cases. On their I got my Fauci out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to, to listeners, Luke just mimed uh, killing himself. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. Well, I, I think that's a, maybe an appropriate moment to move on to the next topic and leave it on a high point, um, which is sort of on a similar theme, although we moved on to vaccine passports there. The, the theme, as, as Sam said, is is children in this episode and the way in which they essentially have been um, have been how do you put it uh, put on the lower footing so as to enable their their older generations to get higher, which I suppose is a slight inversion of how things usually go by. Um, and the the next example is is social care and the taxes that have been increased so as to help pay for it. So Luke, what have you got to tell us about this? Uh, first off, because I think your language is far too like that. The younger generations have been sacrificed. <laughs> yeah, that's what I get. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so um, yeah, going on the story about social care, which is probably the second biggest story this week. Thank God Afghanistan's gone down the rafters, and uh, I'm going a lot on. Um, taking so much out of control. Someone's going to clip that and put you as a, a Taliban sympathizer. <laughs> Were you in that spaces, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> so uh, regarding social care, I'm going a lot on um, Fraser Nelson's recent piece in The Spectator called Assetocracy, the Inversion of the Welfare State. So um, the elderly are the wealthiest demographic, not just because they've brought up wealth over the course of their entire working lives, which would be the case naturally in any so-called advanced economy, but because they joined the housing ladder generations before prices hit the stratosphere basically. So in terms of assets, roughly 25% or 3 million pensioners are, in terms of total household wealth, millionaires. Their boy would be very happy. Yeah. And uh, the um, care home workers, on the other hand, are usually on minimum wage. So um, under the government's new uh, reforms to uh, national insurance taxes, minimum wage workers will be paying about 100 quid more in tax per year and will be about a grand worse off. Now, Fraser Nelson talks politically about how this is beneficial for the Tories, given that how voting demographics are split along age lines nowadays. But there's also a cultural element to it. Let's not forget that the Tories are unapologetically conjoined with this burning bridges persona to hammer the young if it means self-preservation or saving a few quid. I mean, ch children are expendable to the government. The pandemic has proven that. And this is Boris Johnson, of course. He doesn't know how many children he has. You could go through a whole list of them. I mean, Matt Hancock can give a damn about his kids when, when he rewrote the definition of hands, face, space. Right. So, <laughs> oh, when he abandoned them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So um, it, 
not, not sorry it's not about children specifically even though the economy they will emerge into has been completely destroyed by lockdowns and lockdowns which will return one day hmm. and uh, people who have just had their lives struck off the record for the best part of a year and a half and to have to deal with the consequence of financial devastation for the next perhaps decade or even longer mm. are uh, in effect squeezed by the pit by the by the tax man mm. to pay for the people who have um where the country has been laid down for them mm. i mean if you, if you look at um remember during the things about this time last year actually the the great barrington declaration was issued in which it advocated for uh, focus protection, yeah. i.e. basically letting the young and therefore uh, not at risk um, cohorts, you know, just ba basically live as they, they did while people who are actually at risk can be sheltered and the virus can move through the um, low risk population with minimal collateral and, you know, things can be generally as normal as they as they can be given the circumstances and that was completely buried it was buried by google it was like it was it was it was shunned and it was attacked by the press it was ignored by the government so what so now we, we look back and we have a thing where for the last year and a half the three of us have watched our prospects at the economy that we're about to inherit just utterly just dismantled and now just a barren wasteland you know like liberties to boot as well yeah like it's it's like fortunate fortunately i i i've i've managed to find uh work despite of that but i mean um that's only, only till january um and a lot a lot of us despite having you know degrees from decent universities and have studied and are studious and smart people uh are going to end up in a job that we're vastly overqualified for if we get a job mm. our social lives our our mental state has been just wiped out been decimated i mean the suicide of young people has jumped up a notch during lockdown and at the very end of it you know when we have when we you know we've completed the roadmap we're now footing the bill yeah when we have no assets we have we, we, homeownership is, is a a pipeline dream at best and we're it's already a pipeline <laughs> yeah it's it's utterly like we've basically become like a living resource for the gerontocracy yeah you know? i want to know what what the attitudes of our generation and the generation younger will be when they're ready to engage in politics fully and participate in a ruined economy fully what will their attitudes be to the generations above and below them they'll show no duty of care i mean was it the, an african proverb that a child that does not feel the warmth of the village will burn it to the ground we've essentially created a generation of very selfish very scared and very resentful people yeah which is is a shame because it's not those who are benefited by the policy who have uh, brought it in. It's the Conservative government. But of course, what will happen here is that it'll, it'll turn, as you say, into resentment among one group of people against another. Um, that other group of people not being uh, the politicians who introduced it, but you know, fellow neighbours and, and other such people. So, yeah, it's, it's causing real social problems. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, the, and the low trust push in society is, is is furthered yeah absolutely i mean it's it's interesting isn't it however the past year the, the conservative party's uh, sort of electoral messaging has changed so much from uh, being about low taxes to being about saving the nhs 
Um, it, it's now the party of the NHS and, and not of low taxes since, you know, as we saw the Telegraph's headline the other day was highest taxes since the war, which was quite amusing. Um, also it's the- almost as if the, 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 the Tory party's promises at election time mean virtually nothing. Funny that, isn't it? Mm. Well, there's a great... Bob Moran, it's worth us mentioning, is back uh, mm. on the saddle. Um, great cartoonist for the Telegraph and also just personally, uh, he has his own website where he puts the ones that perhaps the Telegraph <laughs> won't publish. Um, and he, he, he had a great one. Uh, again, today, Friday, uh, con men, you know, it says Conservative government, but he's scratched out the, the appropriate letters. And that's exactly right. That's what this party is full of. Um, and, and it's worth mentioning, it's not just the Conservative Party, it's, it's, it's most of the other parties as well, most other politicians. Yet, as we've seen this week, so many young Conservatives, quote unquote, still back the thing, um, still support it, because as we always hear, opposition's worse that's the, the, the best argument that can be produced in its favor um and even that's not exactly accurate so yes um as as i say it's not going to end up being so much a political problem as a social one which is going to pin some people against others and really produce no solution yeah because again we're, we're looking out onto a world that for us is is barren you know i think we're possibly going to be the first generation in, in about a century to be worse off than our our uh, our predecessors right that was the trajectory anyways right. more in debt less home ownership more social problems more health problems more mental health problems covid have just accelerated every societal trend that was going downwards yeah that's a good point i mean so with education which we talked about recently with the exam grades everyone's saying oh look what the government's done look what covid has done covid has, has busted exam grades no this was happening for decades and decades mm-hmm. uh, it's fine it's, it's worsened situations but it was all still going on the same with the erosion of liberty actually it's this is where it becomes difficult for people like us because lockdown is so much in our mind that we we only think about the past year but even the erosion of liberty and the fall away from social conservatism and the the pulling away of children from their parents all of this has been happening for decades under different guises you know it's, it's been sex education rather than um rather than um vaccination and it's been you know, wanting to have an egalitarian education system rather than wanting to protect young people from COVID, but it doesn't yeah. all have the same outcome. Or or, or, a, or a recidivist uh, crime uh, policy as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, you you aren't free of it. You you aren't entirely free if someone can mug you and get away with it. No, no, that's quite right. Um, well, since we've gone into sort of the general trend of how all this has been happening for a long time, we'll move slightly away from COVID and, and move on to the last story, which I suppose is sort of a, a social summing up of what we've just been talking about, sort of in different circumstances, of, of, of children being pulled by the state further away from their parents. So, Sam, this is the one that you want to lead on. Hmm. Well, yes. It, so there's... um. There's been a few uh, headlines that have, have uh, caught my eye um, in the last week or so. And it, it just points to just the, the utter insidiousness of where we're, where we're heading. Um, so let me, let, let me read uh, these three uh, verbatim. So the first is, um, thinking of children as state assets may be the way forward. The second being, opinion, the dangerous legal illusion of parental rights. And the third... Kids as young as three should be asked which pronoun they want to be called, says New South Wales Government Guide. Now, 
these may seem like you know going oh like a we'll huff and puff and we'll you know we'll go on about it but but it's really dark when you think about it you know the last barrier is the parents is the family it is the last barrier without that children are literally born into the regime into the custody of the regime think think brave new world where children are literally made with their interests and their social status like predetermined right the last barrier between that and just complete pod world for, for from generations onwards is the family and we mm. see we've seen it undermined incrementally in numerous ways first it became just going after the nuclear family as being you know a, a sort of a, a regressive and um and repressive force for women um and now, and now it's literally the, the family and the parents shouldn't exist. The children are should be born, live and die as wards of the state. And it's reminiscent of pretty much every regime that's ever existed, or at least every modern regime that's existed. You know, the, 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 the Khmer Rouge, the Third Reich, the Soviet Union, Mao's China, they all had the same idea, which is, which is you separate children from their parents. Because when you have a strong family unit, you have the custodianship and the passing on of an ethic that could be any sort of ethic and it could be an ethic that goes against the the ethic of the state religion which in this case is you know it's apparently socially progressive hypochondria yeah i, yeah. I suppose the thing the in, one interesting point is that it's not only that children are being pulled by the state but are also being pushed by their parents um and uh, there's lots of ways in which this happens it's mainly a, a result of sort of more commercialization um, and the, the increase in technology where a parent gives a young child iPads or allows them to watch TV all day or to have mobile phones at a really young age um, and to watch sort of big Hollywood uh, films before they're old enough to be able to understand some of the themes within them and, and challenge them themselves. And they do these things um, while they're eating their dinner, they're on the iPad while eating dinner, rather than talking about uh, the family and their own views and their own uh, views on life um at the dinner time say and and in the evening children go off to their own bedrooms and play their own computer games which are embedded again with different messages of the the regime um rather than sit downstairs and play games with each other and learn lessons from each other and become one another in a sense uh, to become socialized so it's the parents in that sense are also guilty of, of pushing their children away and who, who's to blame for that i'm not sure is that also a sort of a just a moving social trend the thing, the thing is because th but this trend doesn't have that sort of parent in its crosshairs it's it's purely a dissident repression tool right it's yeah. if you don't get on board with a state religion you lose your kids right like um i've seen cases in america in australia where basically custody battles have been decided by essentially by by political allegiance yeah you know it's it's designed for that it's designed to basically break down and demoralize um dissent um for a set of beliefs and trends that are entirely deserving of dissent yeah, yeah. absolutely it's it's difficult to know how to solve this thing because we can you know we as a group can I think one of the one of the worst things I actually think that the, the push 
away from parents is more damaging to children than the pull from the state because state like you know with sex education it's made all the worse by the fact that because of the giving of technology children have probably watched lots of porn by the time they get to that stage anyway because of the fact they've been pushed from their parents into these sort of uh, laxness and and you know they they hear about sexualization on the tv when they stay up too late or on the hollywood films that they watch um again all under their parents authorization so i i, I do genuinely think that the parents push is more influential also because it takes place at the time when children are most malleable when they're most influenceable so it's about changing that and as i say we as groups can raise our children certain ways we can not allow them to have the technology at too early an age although of course that creates rifts because these children's friends will all have the technology because their parents will likely uh not be uh thinking in this way which is understandable given the circumstances so it's difficult but that's what we should at least strive to do but how do you persuade other people to do that because it's, the, it's just the done thing now and schools give out free ipads to incentivize children to go to these places so it's really really difficult i think the the first thing to really kind of grapple with is the fact that in this sense in in this you know bleak uh, burgeoning dystopia we're in the only thing you really can do is deprogram yourself and people that you love yes, i mean you, you know like like uh, you the first thing you have to do and it's it sucks but you have to, you have to just give up on the masses mm. um and essentially just create a parallel and be a living example of how good life could be yes. rather, rather than this aberrated miserable consumerist just nightmare that so many people find themselves in you know be a living alternative and then be the happiest person in the room because you're living your life to decent values and virtues mm. uh, that, that, that and like you know and you aren't and i you know and this was the, this was the swan song of our first episode of ocp Mike michael which is that you can't change the world but you can be happy mm, absolutely you, you two have touched upon the the um this is what wider environment and culture but we also need to need to sort of look at that more closely with and that this culture is sort of born in both sorts of the vacuum of which parental responsibility left as well as the pulling of the state and the, the wider economic structure and that is basically a culture formulated on youth and social media is just a big part of modern culture and of course the most technologically the technological professionals are now the five and six year olds because they've essentially been born into this culture and they know nothing else mm. and we've also got, got to talk about the, the elephant in the room as well of um adults becoming infantilized their attention spans being broken by social media they're um you, well, you're muted but, yeah no, that's true there are a lot of adults older than us who are just these pathetic rootless lifeless metropolitan consumers who have this permanent thousand yard stare because their life is void of any meaning apart from waiting for the next marvel movie you know it's 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 right yes they, they have all the aspects of um, teenagers and, and, and children they're very impulsive they're very unempathetic high time preference <laughs> yeah High, yeah. reference. sticking on the example of books for example and this is where it becomes such a massive problem because this is the reason we're in such a quandary now is because of events that took place decades ago and it's just been a chain reaction getting worse and worse i mean take well actually moving away from reading very quickly in education for example we talk about the chain the changes that are taking place in education moving away from 
you know, a, a, a teacher um, acting as a figure of authority, putting down information, which is then discussed and emanated to a system in which children talk among themselves the whole time and try and work out the answers and all these sorts of things. Um, as, as one example, move away from classical education. How can we expect, you know, we, we preferring one system, that's fine, but how can we expect children who have been brought up and educated in a system which is the one we don't like to know how to teach in the system that we do like because it's not in their mind it's not something they've ever experienced and then of course you know the new teachers as i say have been taught in an age where the system hasn't been proper and so they carry on those traits same with reading parents now don't themselves read they probably weren't read to when they were younger because their parents parents didn't read to them and so on and so forth. So how do we expect the parents of today to start reading to their children when it's not something that they do themselves? And then their children, having not been read to, won't read to their own children. It's an endless cycle. Yeah. And it's the reason I'm, I'm very sure that we are slightly different in that sense. And in, in this case, we're lucky. Um, yeah. I was personally read to as a child and my parents yeah. were uh, and so forth. And therefore it's a trait that's been passed on to me and I'll read it to my children and hope that they'll do the same. But that is such an important thing in so many ways. And there's, there's lots and lots of studies on this, which I do recommend. And, and also, by the way, not just important for the children, uh, which of course it is massively, but also important for the parent in, in numerous ways regarding bonding, regarding de-stressing after work, um, all these sorts of, of, of manners in which reading a, a short childish story before bedtime massively changes the course of someone's life. It can't be underestimated yet it's not pushed or even mentioned anywhere ever. Well, this goes back to my initial point on this matter, which is you just ultimately, the first thing you have to do, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate, is just give up on the idea that you can proselytize the masses. You can't. Most, yeah. pe most people are just far gone because you're right, Michael, because it's, it's intergenerational. It's, yeah. it's, it's bread, you know. It's it's it, it it may as well be the eye color or the length of their nose, you know. It's it's just the, the world we're opposed to is now a state of nature where yeah. it, it it will be like trying to take down Mount Everest. It's just not going to work. Well, it, it it it'd be like you know, it's it's a Canusian task. You're trying to fight the waves, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I simply view what we do uh, as as a magazine and almost as people as as being there to try and create communities where these sort of issues can be discussed. And, you know, I've, I've learned lots doing these episodes, listening to your OCPs, reading submissions from people for nearly approaching three years, crazy, um, which, which I think has been helpful. And I hope uh, it's been the same for the readers that they've picked up on things, you know, certain, certain uh, matters that when we have children, I think I will now do because I've learned these things, you know, all that sort of stuff. If we can create small communities where we help each other and maybe people come into the magazine for different reasons, they're interested in different topics, but end up reading these matters and it changes slightly certain of their own characteristics. That's as much as we can do. I think we, if we can aim to influence a few people around us uh, and perhaps with the magazine, a couple more, that's tremendous. That's probably as much as we can do. Focus on our own lives, do what we can to influence others, but don't imagine we're going to change the world. What, what that takes, because the problem is intergenerational, fixing it is also an intergenerational solution. Nothing is going to change now. I think uh, a, a quote that is used by conservatives often is that great men um, are those who plant the seeds of trees, uh, the shadow of which they won't sit under. Um, which is, is, is our task, really. It's uh, uh, a difficult task and one which uh, we won't see the rewards of, but uh, still there are rewards involved 
And if that be for our great, great grandchildren, then so be it. So be it. And I think on that, um, that's probably a nice end if, if we're all in agreement to, to uh, end the episode. So thanks everybody for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and hope that you choose to listen to us again next week. Cheers.